But nonetheless, uh, despite all the disruptions that the pandemic has caused, all the problems that have happened over the past two years, I think we're still making progress. And I do believe uh, that I am making a difference in this place. And, and that's what it's all about. Well, hello, everybody. You're at the Faculty Factory Podcast, and I'm Kim Skorupski here at Hopkins. And with me is an old friend and colleague, Dr. Archie Chatterjee. Hi, Archie. Hi, Kim. It's good to see you. Well, folks who are new to the podcast may not know that Dr. Chatterjee was one of the first guests on the Faculty Factory Podcast back in 2019, episode number 39, where if you go to that episode on the facultyfactory.org website, you will hear a wonderful description of the office back when Dr. Archie Chatterjee was Senior Associate Dean of Faculty Development at the University of South Dakota, Sanford School of Medicine. She talked about a lot of great things in the office and what was happening there and her journey. But you're not there anymore, Dr. Chatterjee. Why don't you tell everybody where you are and what you're doing now? I am now the Dean of Chicago Medical School and Vice President for Medical Affairs at Rosalind Franklin University in North Chicago. North Chicago. So how did you get there? Tell us about the journey going to be a dean. Again, congratulations. This is a major accomplishment. And we're so proud of you and our group on Faculty Affairs family. Thank you very much, Kim. Um, It has been a long journey, uh, but I will just describe sort of the penultimate part of it that um, catapulted me into this position. So as you said, I was in South Dakota for about seven years as chair of pediatrics and senior associate dean for faculty development and received a great deal of support from my then dean, Dr. Mary Nettleman. Uh, I completed a fellowship. The Council of Deans uh, of the WMC offers a fellowship for aspiring deans, and she supported me in that. Uh, It's a year-long fellowship that I completed. And following that, I began to get solicitations from various places to look at uh, deaconal positions. And when uh, the search firm reached out to me about this one, I was um, intrigued and interested because this is a 109-now-year-old medical school, has has a very storied history, and uh, particularly has been known locally and nationally for supporting the dreams of um, individuals who wish to become physicians who don't get this opportunity anywhere else. And so I was very attracted to this position because of that history. And once I came and interviewed and I got to meet the people here, I um, was was very impressed with the work that they were doing. Um, They were up for their LCME accreditation. So I knew that there was work for me to do once I got here. Uh, And so that's what um, attracted me to this position. Um, I think they found my um, experiences and expertise valuable, uh, particularly with the LCME experience that I had. I'd been a site visitor. I'd been through site visits at two of my previous institutions. And that definitely came in helpful uh, because I arrived in April, early April of 2020, and we were due for our LCME site visit at the end of April. Oh, of course. <laughs> oh my gosh. Welcome to the institution. Right. right. Company's coming. <laughs> and of course, this little thing called the pandemic came along right around that time and messed everything up, including the site visit. 
which got delayed, became virtual instead of in-person. But there is good news from that uh, in the sense that we did get a full eight-year accreditation for the medical school, which for this school actually had not happened in living memory. There have been all kinds of issues in the past with accreditation, but we went through with flying colors. And so that was a, a really good thing that happened shortly after I arrived. Well, I love, congratulations, 109-year-old institution, first time getting the accreditation. Wow. And what a lift. We all know those of us in leadership roles in academic medicine understand the gravity of that LCME accreditation. That is no easy thing. I mean, that's that's a huge, huge lift. So kudos to you. And you said when you were describing Rosalind Franklin, an institution that helps dreamers, the people who have dreams of getting into medicine. And maybe it's a different conversation, but I like the way you describe this fit of career. And I think there's probably a lesson there in picking opportunities that come to us and knowing when they're right, because you mentioned the word dream and I know you and know that you are a builder you are a dreamer and you talked last time in your interview about how you derive so much, um, feels so good to you when you see in others the strengths, the talents that they have. And you mm-hmm. you love to inspire and to encourage and empower. And that's those are the words you used back a couple and a half years ago. So it makes so much sense to me uh, that fit, that uh, person environment fit that actually uh, um, M. Powell Lawton, as a gerontologist, talked about PE, person environment fit. And that sounds like, wow, uh, that was a beautiful match and that you were the right person at the right time, clearly, to be um, part of those dreams and to be dream building and dream making. So congratulations again. Thank you. And I do want to clarify that this wasn't the first time the medical school got full accreditation, but it was certainly something that hadn't happened for many, many decades. Mm. So um, that was that was a very big accomplishment. And yes, my motto remains to inspire and empower. And all the people who work with me know this. And if you talk to my team, they would tell you that uh, that's exactly what I've been trying to do for the last two years. So what changes did you initiate? Or, you know, it clearly, obviously, that the pandemic, things are out of your control and walking into an LCME, So a lot of things I imagine were coming at you full force. How did you, how did you pivot? How did you create and build and what, you know, what changes did you implement? Yeah. So a number of different things that we did, of course, the LCME was front and center and you have to know a little bit more about the university. We are a health sciences university, um, graduate level studies, only no undergraduate wing. And so uh, we don't have our own hospital or health system. We're community based. So there are a lot of different stakeholders that you have to work with. And the medical school occupies a very important role in the sense that 60% of the university's um, budget is allocated to the medical school. So with the medical school's um, finances and future goes the university's finances and future. So it was critically important. And we got tremendous support from the university in this effort, more so than I have seen at any other institution in terms of the LCMA accreditation. So that's the first thing, working with the people that are there, not only within the medical school, but also within the university. Um, The second thing is that the uh, way the medical school administration was structured was somewhat peculiar to me. And I'll mention a 
couple of specifics. So for example, the Office of Medical Student Education and Medical Student Affairs was combined under one senior associate dean. And to me, that was really problematic because that was a huge portfolio for any one person to handle. So I split that out and we now have separate offices of student affairs and medical education. And I think that that has been a very good thing. The other one, which is perhaps more relevant to your audience, is that we had something called an Office of Academic Learning Environment, um, which encompassed lots of little bits of things, including faculty affairs, faculty development, diversity, parts of student affairs. And Dr. Newton Bedia, who was in charge of that unit, was struggling mightily to address all of these different areas. So we took the student affairs stuff out, put it under student affairs, and we created a new Office of Faculty Affairs and Diversity. And the goal is actually to split off diversity eventually. Uh, we are in the search for a new diversity affairs dean. But when that happens, uh, that'll probably get split off and faculty affairs and development will be just its own thing. And I think what that has allowed Dr. Bedia to do over the last two years is develop a lot of things for our faculty. You know, being community-based, we have a lot of community-based um, clinical faculty who frankly were getting very little attention in terms of their career development and things like that. So she has launched career development programs, leadership development programs, a coaching program, and all of that has been possible because we have sort of um, allowed her to really do what she needs to do and not get distracted with these other areas that she was given responsibility for. We talked to Newton Vedia on the podcast. She talked about this, this being the um, this title of the CEO of one, which I thought was a really interesting uh, idea for senior mid-career faculty and how to, you know, running or, or building an organization around the CEO of one person. But she did describe really interesting uh, leadership programs and um, the engagement program and the collaborating with uh, Rush and other Absolutely. institutions. Mm-hmm. With uh, Susan Chubinskaya, we also just talked to her again on the podcast. So how did you get Newton? Did you recruit her, bring her? Was she there? She was already there. Um, she had been here, I think, for like 24 years or something. Oh, wow. She's a psychiatrist. She'd been chair of psychiatry. And then when they restructured the departments and made one giant department of clinical sciences, she uh, took on this role of uh, faculty affairs dean. Mm. Um, But she also had, as I said, all these other responsibilities, which were really distracting. And and she has now been able to focus purely on faculty affairs, faculty development, with a little bit of oversight of diversity. And it's worked out really well for her. So you make all these changes, you restructure, you have all these pressures and challenges. I can't help but think, how do you get the support of your leadership? Because they obviously mm-hmm. hire you saying, all right, this, you know, Dr. Chatterjee has been knocking on the park. She's clearly well-known, very established, very senior. She's a dean. We're letting her go. But did you ever encounter the pushback of, that's not the way we do things around here. You know, we did hire you, but whoa, mind your P's and Q's. How does one know? And I'm thinking again, back to the faculty factory audience. How far does one push? When do you know to kind of go, all right, I'll back off a little bit. And when do you see that moment? I'm thinking on football metaphor, like where do you see the gap in the middle and you're going to go through real, how did did you, you how'd you figure that out? Well, it's a, it's a difficult question to answer actually. Um, What I think 
happens is, um, you know, everyone gets a honeymoon period, right? When you take on a new role. And I think I, I got that in spades. And I think part of my honeymoon is still going on. But um, shortly after I got here, you know, uh, there were all these crises that were happening at the same time. You know, you'll also recall that we had the racial justice crisis happen shortly after that. And the, the thing that I got from the people I report to, my provost and president, was a great deal of support to say, we got your back. We are going to support you. We'll back your play, you know. Um, so that was very helpful. My fellow deans of the other, other health sciences schools, um, the um, College of uh, Podiatric Medicine, uh, the College of Pharmacy, the College of Health Professions, they were extremely helpful because most of them had been here for a while. And so they knew the ropes and I didn't. And so I think relying on the input from senior leaders like that was really helpful to me. We have a number of vice presidents who are very helpful as well as my own team, you know, uh, most of my team had been here for a long time. And so they clearly knew the institution, knew the culture, and I had to lean on them a fair bit to understand where I could, as you say, push and where I needed to kind of hold back a little bit. Um, and a lot of it comes from just this giving and, and taking, you know, back and forth that we have with our colleagues to try and, and see where uh, things might be uh, appreciated in terms of change and others where we've got to hold a little bit uh, and, and wait for uh, the, the time to be right to make those changes. In the last couple of minutes, Archie, could you maybe reflect on you know, making the big move? So you know, going from South Dakota to Chicago, North Chicago, and, and you've been a leader in the faculty affairs space for a long time now, there's a lot of, you know, trepidation and, and self-doubt and wondering like, why would I, I'm already accomplished. I'm at the top of my game here. Why do I want to jump in a whole new barrel of monkeys? You know, I just figured out this circus. So why do I want to go to somebody else's? You know, you've always been someone I remember when I first, you know, learned about you about a dozen years ago, who's always stood up at the microphone and was always very um, confident and not shy to ask really kind of challenging questions. And, but I'm thinking, you know, about, again, faculty listening to this now going, I'm not so sure about myself. How do I know when, when do you move? When do you stay? When do you dig deeper, hunker down? Or when do you say time to go? How did you talk us through that personal kind of evolution? Yeah, you know, um, I think you rely on a number of different um, uh, stakeholders that help you make that decision, right? So obviously you get solicited for different things um, and opportunities come your way and you have to weigh the pros and cons. As you said, I was in a very comfortable position. I loved South Dakota. I, I loved my position there. The people there, they were wonderful to work with. And I was not looking for uh, a move at that point in time, but this opportunity came along and every time this has happened to me, at least, I have looked for, will I be able to make a difference? What difference will I make? Why should it be me rather than someone else that takes this job? And that's what I looked at when I looked at this position. I also rely on my mentors, uh, my um, good colleagues and friends, my family, uh, who are great people to bounce things off of and kind of have that discussion about, is this the right time? Is this the right position, the right place to make this move? And so it's not an arbitrary decision. It's not a knee jerk. It's a very well thought out decision. 
And uh, I'm glad that I made that decision, even though it's been challenging, as you said, uh, particularly since no one forecast the pandemic coming along. But nonetheless, uh, despite all the disruptions that the pandemic has caused, all the problems that have happened over the past two years, I think we're still making progress. And I do believe uh, that I am making a difference in this place. And, and that's what it's all about. Hmm. That is that is the question. Can I make a difference? I think that's the question. How? What is my value? What is my purpose? And if you, if we feel like I, it's up to me. If not, you know, if not who, you know, if not me, who? If not now, when? That that to me is a really good gauge of making a move or not. Can I make a difference? Can I make a difference here? Shall I, you know, should I stay here? And still, is there opportunity? Is there space for me to make a difference? So, Dr. Archie Chatterjee, uh, Dean Rosalind Franklin, thank you so much. You are such a leader in the field. We appreciate your wisdom. We love all hearing about these accomplishments of our family members and the changes you've made and restructuring and um, great perseverance and fortitude and love how you always inspire, encourage, and um, empower us. So thank you for being on the podcast. Um, Anything you'd like to say in parting? Just to say thank you to you, Kim, for inviting me to speak to your audience today and to encourage everyone to um, stay healthy, be well, and our constituents, our faculty need us So we all need to continue to work together so that we can advance our faculty as we go forward. Thank you, Archie. Bye, everybody. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory Podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.